because you're jumping back into the gut. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome Washington State head coach Kyle Smith to the Basketball Podcast. In his first three seasons at Washington State, Smith has rebuilt the Cougars, putting himself in a rarefied air at WSU, as he has finished in his first three seasons at 500 or better, joining Tony Bennett as the only other Cougar head coach to post 500 or better records in their first three seasons after taking over a sub-500 club. In addition, he has posted back-to-back winning seasons, the first time in over a decade at Washington State. Smith began his coaching career as an assistant at his alma mater, Hamilton College. He then moved to Division I as an assistant at Air Force St. Mary's in San Diego. He got his first head coaching job at Columbia University in 2010, where he led the Lions to three postseason appearances and a 101-83 record in six seasons. In 2016, Smith was hired as the head coach at the University of San Francisco, where he continued his success with three consecutive 21 seasons and two postseason bursts. He also implemented a signature nerd ball system, which uses analytics and data to evaluate players and opponents. Coach Smith, welcome to the Basketball Podcast. Thanks for having me. This is fun. There's going to be a lot to talk about here, but uh, let's start. I love this phrasing that you shared with me in regards to Washington State, rebuild within the rebuild. What does that mean, Coach? Well, it's a little bit, we've kind of done a nice job of getting our program relevant. You know, I think when we came here, Four years ago, we were like 220th in the net, and we've gotten the big, you know, top 50 once, and last year a little under that, but two NIT finishes, and the models changed. I mean, we've gone through COVID, uh, portal, and NIL, so I think that's obviously impacting everybody. And depending on resources, there's it's a whole new ball game, time management, coaching strategy, in the sense like how you're going to utilize your coaching staff. I, I think we're all working there so for us when we got here it was the idea was let's accumulate let's talent acquisition let's get the best talent we can we had no idea what we were doing (laughs) we're recruiting to a remote rural place but our biggest selling point was pac-12 high major basketball um play against pros play against nba players want to be an nba player here's opportunity because our talent level was a little down you know so it was like two so we were able to attract some guys that I would say normally didn't necessarily make sense or guys like that in the past. And the men in Washington state, I think Washington state is always like, I'm, I'm looking at it. What Tony Bennett, Dick Bennett, Tony Bennett did, how they built it with kind of three-star guys. I want to say it. And they, they kind of got grew together and got older and got better and had a program. And we kind of went the other way out and we got an FA Abagidi. We got a Deshaun Jackson. We got a Muhammad gay. And it's like, you can't, it's hard, you can't say no to those talents. They're really good. But, do we have the infrastructure to sustain that uh, as far as where our resources and we have a lot of good things, but I think with the new NIL, when I say resources and stuff like that, it's in guys not from the region. So it's like the rebuild, it got us to a certain point, but I think our brand is good. I say like now we're able to catch the eye of the people that make more sense for this, for Washington state. And I think what makes sense for Washington state is get, try to get the best players of Pacific Northwest. For us, yes, that needs to be our base. There's a great uh, for, and this this applies to whoever's listening to podcasts, whatever 
whatever you figure out what your culture is. And there is a great pride in Washington state alums and we're, 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 we're remote, but everyone, they bond because you're in this little pocket. So we have a brand in the Pacific Northwest and now we've established self credibility is that needs to be our rebuild within the rebuild is let's get the guys uh, that we have. And we, I think we're 15 and six against Pacific Northwest teams. I like to drop that a lot. <laughs> I love the coaches. So it's like, okay, that's our rebuild. And we got to build guys that we can grow with. Um, we don't have, we have resources. We just don't have what other programs have. So we got to build it with character, heart guys that want to plan for their families, even though we don't have a huge population here, there's still enough of those guys. So that's, that's kind of the, the mantra, how are we going to rebuild within the rebuild because the, the game has changed And that simple portal NIL is, and the COVID thing still is impacted because you have, I don't know, 400 more players that are, that wouldn't be in the, that have knocked out high school guys. So this portal is, you know, these older guys are very valuable. And you, I think I couldn't believe it. I was talking to the Hawaii coach who was a good friend of mine. I think his point guard is in his eighth year. He's had like three, <laughs> he's had three wow. injuries. I thought he was kidding. I think he's serious. I think he's, he's trying for his eighth year. He's, he got it granted and everything. So it's, it's a wild, wild changes. It's a new normal, I know. And it's a fascinating way to look at it. And I love that. I shared some of the stats. Obviously, you were turning Washington State to a high level. And now it's to keep going up to another level. And uh, that that totally makes sense. Coach, do you like the phrasing nerd ball? I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah, everyone's a, where was I? I? I don't think they liked it when I got came to Washington State. Uh, or maybe they did. I can't remember. I just remember the marketing people. What like it was? It was a torn thing like we do. And I was like, it hasn't really stuck I, as far as I know. I think the insiders do it with the. Yeah. And, um, and it was a big bit when we were at Columbia, obviously, uh, with the Ivy League deal. Trying to, you know, we got eight schools, high academic thing. It's like, how are we gonna be different? How are we gonna differentiate ourselves? And that's always been our thing. It's like we're really bang the analytics, and how is that gonna work in a Pac-12, a Power Five, when you have, you know, obviously guys are a little uh, more esteemed, shall I say, coming in the program with a few more credentials, and how are they going to adjust to that? And and uh, I can report back now, four years into it, it's it's not much different, and you know, it's more the age of the kids that stays the same. You know, eighteen to twenty-two year olds are in general pretty much. It's but now some of our guys come with a few more coaches and other 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 entities that that have interest more in their careers but uh it's still essentially the same it, it strikes me i mean we're going to get into it a little bit deeper but it strikes me based on what you just said that i would think a great player would embrace it because it would demonstrate how great they are but i understand the psychology the other way that there might be a little bit of fear that that's going to show some things that maybe they thought they were good at and they're not well yeah you're right on both counts the the really good attitude good talent it loves it we call it the growth mindset guy, but you really don't know till you get them on your campus, mm-hmm. to be honest, how, how everyone's kind of wired a little differently. And we were very fortunate, a guy like Muhammad Gay, who hadn't played a lot of basketball, um, but he's got a tremendous attitude, tremendous character, and he just embraced it. And, and, he, and I always call it, it's a little bit like paint by numbers <laughs> for a basketball players, just so specific on that. Um, but it's more getting them, get them Getting them here and understanding that uh, that you are putting something at risk a little bit. Like you want guys who are going to obviously at this level, any level, I've coached some players going to want guarantees on minutes in that. And really, what we're asking you is 
bet on yourself to be, you know, put it out there. Let, let's, you're going to give us feedback where you're at and what you are. And it's, a, and it's based on merit, you know, so it's this competition, this iron, iron sharpens iron. So it is a little harder to attract um, a guy that's got some skin in the game or some, some credibility. So it's been, it's been for the have not program where, Hey, we're going to get guys that aren't that, you know, under the radar that have something to prove and the kind of, but we've, like I said, we've been able to get some four-star guys and some highly touted guys that have embraced it and really improved themselves. So um, the downside, I'll just throw this in there is that it really gives them ownership of their career and their, their ability. And it really attracts the guy that wants to bet on himself. And our guys leave early because <laughs> I really, it, I really think it helps that. I, and that's like, I gotta, I gotta pump the brakes on that piece a little bit. I'd like to, cause I think they've left like Muhammad, Muhammad had, I mean, he financially and everything was, he went 39th in the draft this year. Gosh, if I had 15 more games with them in six more months, I think he pops in comfortably in that top 20 in the draft, you know, just, he's just, there's just a little bit he's left on the table, but he ended up in a really good spot, but it's like, they just, I think it builds confidence. It builds like, Hey, I can see the results every day, how I'm getting better, where I'm getting better. And then they, you know, then it's applied in the games and that stuff. So um, long-winded answer, but there you got it. We're going to keep talking about it, but I love this. Let's, let's maybe just give us a brief understanding of where this use of data and analytics for you came from. Oh, that's great. I love it. So it came from really my high school coach. who's probably one of my biggest influences, Rick Shirley. He's the, uh, president of the Texas Association of Basketball Coaches. And what's unique down in Texas is that, you know, pay the coaches pretty well, like the teaching jobs, you know, they have teaching coach. And it's just a high premium on coaching. And I think I had this really special coach. And he also coached football, which they all do, you know, at some level, lower level, high school, it's somebody going through there against multiple sports. So I think it's really influenced by football. And what he would do is – uh Amazing because he'd have like he was at every practice, he had five teams to coach and like freshman A, freshman B, and he was kind of there, just a total junkie. Um, but he did on the fly where we, you know, what a lot of people do, like deflection, steals, block charges, you know, field goal attempts, and and kind of had us competing through this little grid, and and that was kind of like same idea. So that was kind of where the principles started. And uh then I went to college is completely different, really successful, different, different approach and we were number one in the country division three so i learned a lot and coach murphy but it really always kind of went back to coach shirley i thought it was the best way to like hold guys accountable day in day out and and one of my other mentors randy bennett who's head coach of st mary's we worked together at san diego he's kind of got me in the business and his dad was a longtime junior college and high school coach did the same thing really had the same metric not necessarily perfectly but same idea same principle so we kind of were like-minded on that we're both assistants and and i always tried to push it but head coach hank egan was like "Ah, you have to do it every day i didn't didn't feel comfortable doing it i totally get it that's why i don't mind sharing it it's really puts you as a head coach everyone wants to know and say like go it's hard for me every year it's hard for me to like go against my biases and that's why i said this will this makes levels of playing field, makes everything equitable, uh, opportunity equitable. And, and then some, there's always going to be one guy that doesn't perform up to standards. And there's going to be one guy you didn't expect, at least minimum. Then you're like, you have to reward both ends. You have to you have to limit one and you have to reward the other one and see how it turns out. So that's where it started. And then one year, 
Randy had left. San Diego was left behind. I don't think we had a starter over six, seven, and we were terrified. And Brad Hall's head coach, I said, I said, uh, we're worried we're not going to be able to get a rebound. I said, let's try this. You know, so we did. And uh, I stole a little bit from the Knicks when uh, Jeff Van Gundy was there. I think Pat Ryle, they had their rebounding stats, and I kind of I picked up on it. And I said, you know, so I said, let's let's start our five best rebounders at the beginning of the season. Let's just have them compete. So we know it's the emphasis. We said it every day. And we ended up being top 30 in the country rebounding. And we were small. We were like a plus six margin. And and it was totally, and I was like, and then we kind of dawned on us like, you know, we might be onto something. How can we apply this to other aspects? And eventually we now built it out to 50 stats in pretty much every aspect of basketball that we, and we're always adding and and maneuvering a little bit, trying to improve it year over year. Um but that's the gen. And then, and then when we got to St. Mary's, it, it Randy and I got back together and it did, we didn't do it our first year, but I was about the second year. We finally, we went in and we had dramatic results and proofs in the pudding. He's been doing it for 23 years and their edges are so sharp, especially as you see what program that matures and the guys go through it. Those older guys are just so tough. They're just so gritty. It really improved. And I also want to call it, you could call it the grit chart where the hustle stats is, and I read the book Grit, and I said, "Oh, this just confirms everything we've been doing for that." So that's that's the genesis, and that's kind of made a career on it. And uh, we nerd ball, and and actually part of it in there, I realized when I read Moneyball that we we're in essence doing the same thing with basketball. Love it, love it. And a lot of my exposure to this was through Moneyball. Obviously, Dean Oliver's early work and Anson Dorrance, the competitive cauldron type stuff. And I'll say from trying some of this stuff later in my coaching career, one of the things that really stood out to me, which I know you've got to another level, is this concept of removing any type of bias when you make decisions as a coach when it comes to playing time and uh, rotations. So I want you to talk about that, but also removing yelling, right? Like it really does help you yell less, doesn't it, at players? Because everything comes back to a stat. And I really like that, that it reduced my voice. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if my players would agree to that. I've been kind of chewing on I've been chewing on There's always summer. a balance, coach. No, no. I've been chewing on this summer because I was like, we got it, our conditioning and stuff like that. But but that's more like we just because I'm kind of this I'll, I'll just off tangent a little bit because I think like every year is gonna be we got so you get new faces every year, it's more junior college like. And so I'm like trying to get us sped up to speeding up the process, but I agree. Um it just and really when I was at Columbia, you had two hours probably. It may be a little change, you know, and so it's like you got to be efficient with your time. And we just don't have enough time to stop each possession and teach. Everyone learns differently. And uh, but I'm like really leaning into the smart, responsible guys, as I said. So they're going to get the feedback and they're good, bad, different. And now with technology, you can send them clips. Here's areas you get better at. Here's what you've done well. Reinforce it. So the more analytical the player is and more willing they're put the time outside of the practice time, the more stuff we get done. Simple as that. And it's not, and it is more objective. It is more, it has made me more even keel. Like it'll come out in the wash. Uh, the downside is then to practice sometimes like, Hey man, Johnny, you had an awesome practice. And then you're like, you look at the film, like, Ugh. <laughs> I was like, you're because you, I don't think the naked eye could catch everything. We're all in bias. And I have a really, my associate head coach is incredibly analytic. But he he calls it uh he calls it probably not appropriate hillbilly analytics. He's a rural guy and he's like he does all stuff. And I was like, but he's really passionate. He's really and I was like, pump the brakes, man. We got to look at the film a little bit. But 
it's it's within reason, but every once in a while, that's the only downside. But he's it, but it's still coaching, still coaching. Does it make it harder to actually give feedback in practice, knowing that later the stats will reveal what you're maybe no, right? no, you're in the moment? You're right in the moment. You see a play, you'll say something positive, negative. No, no, it's still coach. Coaching, still coaching, and most human beings are motivated by positive reinforcement, and 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 uh, we all get our juice from that. And that's the downside of sometimes we can get too locked into it, especially when I was at Columbia. I mean, those guys were so locked in their daily schedule. They're working so hard. And, and I realized after about a year and we just hit it, it's like another class form. They're punching like it's an engineering class. I said, you know what, this has to be something special and more. I had to reach into their emotions a little more. So I would, I'd take only had two hours of practice, maybe two fifteen. I'd take the first 10 minutes to really talk to them and engage them and what the, give them the why those guys want to know the why. So the emotion part, like why are we doing this today? And, and or both sides, the heart, you had to get the heart involved, invest in the emotion, that that part of it. So you can just become this machine like corporation that's just, you know, checking boxes and doing the job. And 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 it's it's kind of it over the course of time, you don't notice the improvement. You know, what I mean, like I said, the naked eye, these are probably on a rotation, a defense rotation is probably, you know, point one. 0.05 second improvement. You can't tell a naked eye, but it probably makes a difference. You know, guys are going to make that play every time. I mean, this is the repetition of of seeing the re- recognizing the situation, making the adjustment, getting rewarded for it over time. I think they just those habits become second nature, and they end up doing it. And uh, you can become a little machine like, which is great <laughs> if you can. But you want to have the joy. You don't want to steal the joy, rob the joy of the the process and being a team and what what really hopefully brought you to playing basketball, that camaraderie, the uh, accomplishing things together. Well, I was going to ask you about that, balancing the human component, because you are coaching humans and uh, the data tends to obviously treat them more like robots in a sense, but that's where your personality and where you're coaching and all those other things come into play, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I, I like to think I have fun. I don't know what I need to probably get more feedback from our players, but <laughs> off the court, I think I can be pretty fun and uh, probably too sarcastic, but we have fun. We give each other a hard time. Same with the guy. I enjoy being around my coaching staff. I like being around people. And I think it's a little bit I've used that. Uh, I think John Wooden said, like, the best thing a, a father can do is love his love is the mother of his kids or whatever. They express that. And the same thing with our coaching staff. I think if we get along and we're we're connected and we're enjoying each other, I think that's a good role modeling for our players. And so um, and I just I kind of look at it this way. It's all I know. I mean, I've been on a team since I was nine every year. It's part of who I am. It's going to be hopefully who I am till they stick me in the dirt that I just associated with the team in some way. Cause it's just gives me meaning, gives our, I think gives everyone a little purpose, just that, that camaraderie. Like everything, everyone does want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And it gives you a little more purpose. So I think those are the essence of why we do it. And this, you know, you can get, and the competitive nature, you get lost in analytics and like, we need to prove, we need to be, you know, you're you're working on being one or one or two percent. When the program really matures, you're working on being one or two percent better, which results in maybe one more win a year. You know, like you're making that grind and trying to punch through. Um, but the reality, you can't lose sight of that. The this we always tell you that it's a for still college basketball. It's all I know. It's this journey from adolescence to young adulthood, and there I know these guys because I've been around eighteen year olds since I was eighteen. They make mistakes. They you know the whole bit. So getting in that getting in the foxhole with them and riding it out is 
is a big part of the process. Well, it's this mindset training. And that's one of the things I share is like playing basketball in practice develops mindset more than anything you can possibly do in a drill. And I would imagine this applies to your data-driven approach as well, is that players, like, for example, I think it was six for a turnover and four for an assist, right? Minus six for a turnover and only four for an assist. So right away, you're working on them being present focused, working on them coping, working on them being uncomfortable and finding comfort again, struggling and reaching all this mindset training just gets shaped so well when you have this data, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, and uh, anyone that's in that sphere of studying, I wouldn't say I'm super well, I've read enough of it, but like, I got to be guard against being fixed mindset myself with a fixed mindset kid, because there are kids that'll see the results and they'll be fixed mindset. And they're like, I'm no good. Or whatever, you know, like I'm down the bottom. I'm like, and then my side is like, no, I've got to coach them out of that and learn how to uh deal with that data, deal with that, how we're going to improve. Um, so it's it's a unique challenge that way. And it basically is basically explaining that the data isn't fixed either. It can yes. change. And then Absolutely. showing them examples of players who have changed the data. hundred yeah. percent. We do it. I like to say I got 23 years of data on hand. So for like, I'll, I'll use pros. I'll use, here's what Matthew Delavadova did in, you know, back in St. Mary's. Here's what Patty Mills, the numbers are changed a little bit, but you can see the improvement and growth. Like no one knows that Patty Mills barely beat out Mickey McConnell to start as a freshman. He ended up, I mean, he's in his 13th year as an NBA player. And it's like, you know what, the, Mickey McConnell went on when Patty went to the pros, Mickey McConnell became player of the year in the league. So it's like, like, you know, at the time, but there was no deal, you know, but so we can compare year over year, uh, it's really good to see yourself improvement where really their sophomore year is really when you look back 12 months ago and you can, they can see how much they've improved in shooting numbers. Like it's not just in the practice of like, we have a lot of shooting drills. You can see that improvement. I just think seeing the reps helps like just how many days of input uh, that's huge. Senior conditioning times better. I think that's really important. That's part of the analytics and sense that like, Hey, want to see how much improvement in, in that growth gives them confidence alone. Um, but the initial shock of being a lot of them will be overwhelmed depending on what program that they come from. And, and it's like, you're going to hit the wall at some point in life. Some of them hit it in ninth grade. Like I like to say, I knew I was going to be a coach because I hit it in eighth grade. <laughs> it's like, I was quickly looking around in ninth grade, like, how am I going to impact this thing? Well, you know, this playing varsity was going to be somehow I made it to college and played, but just playing varsity was a big deal for me. So I kind of knew what I had to do. And same idea, guys come in here. It's like everyone's expectation is probably a little higher. They're really good high school players or really wherever they came from. And it's like only five are going to start. There's 13 on scholarship, you know, so it's adjusting and re recalibrating that. And then seeing like, well, here's where you are. Here's where you can be. And like I said, the paint by numbers are step-by-step step and treating it like a classroom. We give them goals. Like every Monday, it'll be like some guys, one goal this week. Get your block out to miss block out ratio right. That'll help everything, you know, and some guys can handle two uh, or whatever it is. And it's always about improvement and uh, AFI, areas for improvement. I love that. I love that you connect that to goals and, uh, you know, obviously showing improvement and the possibility for improvement. That's got to be one of the main parts of it. Um, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just say, what ironically, and everyone asks what our goals are, and, and the older I've gotten, the, the less goal. Yeah focus segment it's daily it really is process driven it is really daily improvement and the results do take care of themselves i, I didn't believe it I, I, i'm pushing a little bit because it's going our fifth year 
And uh, even though we've got a lot of new faces, I think our talent's good. I mean, I'm, I don't think the outside world will, but I've seen it. <laughs> I'm just gauging my watching practice. I'm like, what's our let's let's punch through here. We the NSA tournament would be where we need to be. Where we 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 that would be that's a good goal. But I do I reemphasize it's the daily, it's the daily improvement. It's it's what you bring to the table every day, and that gives itself a chance. It's not magic. Love it. And uh, you mentioned 50 categories. We don't have time to go through all of them necessarily, but let's start with um, how do you collect and analyze the data? Because I was reading this and this is not some fancy system, is it? You're actually watching the video. No, it's important. I think it's really important that we do because this is part for coaches listening in. Um, we watch it as a staff together. One guy will have the offense, one guy the defense, one of the rebounding, and I'm kind of the judge or whatever. Because it does get heated in there sometimes, which is silly over because it's one play and and because we all have our biases certain guys recruited certain guys and they don't i'm like just be firm either let's be firm with all of them let's be what let's be firm let's be really stringent i think better our team will be if we're really hard on them as opposed to feeling you know you want this guy's trying but he's not getting the job done now to counter that and this is a psychological thing i like i hate it when guys they can go negative on a day and I don't like them to see them the negative because the effort might be good and you still might be negative. So I'm like trying to get the point values where everything's at least positive. Like you, so you can see growth, but obviously negative is like, and I went backwards and like, yeah, you kind of, you kind of murdered us. <laughs> you kind of were hurting us. So we watched it as a staff. It takes about, I want, it sounds like a lot of work, but as you get going, so we'll practice two and a half hours early in the year, probably down to two say we're live five on five stuff, 45 minutes, or maybe that'd be a lot for an hour. It's usually a one-to-one ratio early in the year. We're doing more. So if it's an hour worth of scrimmage, it takes us about an hour to get through it as a staff on that stuff, just fast forward and whatever. And, and really just manually punch it out. And then we tabulate and then we have a, someone puts it in an Excel spreadsheet and it, and it's uh spits out the numbers. It's not magic. It's just, it's basically winning plays. Minus non-winning plays, to use a euphemism, <laughs> divided by possessions, and that's your number. But everything has a little value. So it just really keeps our – no one knows their team better than us. And probably one of the downsides, I think we get our best team out there pretty early. And having some emerging talent late in the season is tricky because I like to think we have some talented guys. We, and we'll have some younger, talented guys. Your hope coming on late. Man. It's almost like next year. <laughs> so there's a little bit because I think a little bit is the normal process is you're a little off and then guys get better, better. If you're not, we get it pretty, usually have it pretty good on who's really trying to do what we're asking pretty early. And when we have, when we return a lot, we're usually really good early. That's been my experience um, in certain teams that keep it. So keep, you're evaluating five on five or four on four, three on three. Is that mainly well, offense so versus you know defense? What? usually just consistently five on five, but there's no, like we'll do some four on four defensive drills where, you know, there's not a fifth guy to help on the coverages and stuff like that, but we'll do it sometimes just to, you know what, when you play four and four, it will really help you rebounding. Like, you know, half court four and four situation where you're working on blocking out, you want to, that can always do there. So you can use it in that. And uh, I, I think the more data, the better, the more reps you see and the more things and, and it's four and four. It's a lot of fundamental reacting things. You're not in set plays or set things. There's a little more space you have to cover. So it's a little harder to like closeouts and keeping guys in front rotations, puts you in a lot of 
uh, tricky spots, which we do a lot of just drilling. Um, but, uh, you know, I think people want to, whatever, however you want to do that in the past, we've, we've done it. Yeah. I don't have an opinion on it. I was just curious yeah. because I know like if you talk about three on three, then the idea of three on three is that you're increasing decisions. So you're increasing possibilities of successes and failures as well. So yes. it's not I, a true evaluation necessarily. Yeah, no, it's going to be, it's going to distort it a little bit, but yeah. it doesn't mean, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing necessarily. I think, do think certainly like blocking out becomes a lot harder three on three, a little bit, whatever there's not, and you're not playing in, in a half courts, but that's okay. I think if you're a bad rebounding team or you really need to work on your fundamentals, which you just gave me a great tip for this year, because I think that's an area that we can, in those, in those set pieces that we're breaking down practice, we're working on those things. That's going to be a great place to stat because I think that will help. And I'm, I'm putting it. I love this. So I'm also curious then in certain types of those things, and I don't know if you do this, like, you know, maybe it's, it's harder to rebound. So maybe we don't evaluate rebounding in that drill, but we do evaluate other things or is that. Uh, it, it, we, that's why I said a little bit, we got away from it, yeah. but I, I think it's healthy to get back to it. Uh, like I said, it's hard to keep people in front three on three blow. It, you know what? There's no ball screen coverage. If you set in a ball screen in four and four, we're yeah, no tag. <laughs> the defense at a huge disadvantage. You're like, uh, he's yeah. stunned. And like, we're, we're, you know, we're down again. He's stunned. It's like, well, it's a layup. And it's like, so yeah, you'll adjust to it. That's probably why it's more like it gets a little complicated on that part. But I do, I do think uh, and that's going back to the first year we did it when the rebounding stuff, we we just every rebounding situation we were making sure that we were getting those habits and rewarding guys for doing it right punish them for doing it wrong so uh, i think it, it if you're really gonna embrace it and and do it y- you can manage it hey coach a brief time out from the podcast to bring you the analytics minute sponsored by hoopsalytics do you know which players should be taking what kind of shots an analytics system like hoopsalytics can help your team make better shot selection decisions You can track every kind of shot each player takes, where the shots come from, rate the shot quality, track if the shot was contested, and see the results. For example, see which players are taking mid-range floaters and measure the results versus catch-and-shoot jumpers. As an added bonus, Hoopsalytics shot charts are fully interactive, so you can filter by shot distance, shot type, or even specific areas of the floor. Then watch video clips of all those shots or see the points per shot. Hoopsalytics brings the most powerful analytics to teams of all levels. It's easy to use and affordable. It's like AI for basketball coaches. Visit hoopsalytics.com slash ball today. That's H-O-O-P-S-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S dot com slash ball today to learn more and start analyzing your game for free. I love it. I mean, this is bringing clarity to this concept. So thank you. And so you, you as a coaching staff have evaluated it. Then how do you communicate the data and the ratings to your players um, after the fact? We uh, really just have an Excel sheet posted in the locker room. And it's like going to see your, your grades on the final every day. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and you know, you know, it's working when the players are clamoring around waiting for the results and they want to see what they did. And that's when it's, you're in, it's in, you got it. And guys are, are, uh, cause there'll always be some pushback, especially when you first start doing it. And I always like to say the guys that grumble the most are the ones at the bottom of the list. <laughs> you can do something about that fellas. And it may be, you know, it's not perfect. And maybe there's some good players that don't 
don't thrive in the, or, you know, thrive in it. I get it. Um, and maybe it's not the right place for him, but history's told me that, you know, I, there hasn't been a lot of guys that left and gone on to have, you know, like, Hey, and they've gone on done, done well. Um, but I, and I think almost, gosh, dang, I think a lot of programs have something similar in some regard. You're going to, you can't run from the accountability bottom line, bottom line. It's just how, that we're probably a little more accountable than others and really trying to sharpen the edges, but it's, it's gonna, it's gonna hunt you down in life. If you want to be successful, you're gonna be held accountable and you're gonna, you wanna, you wanna take on the challenge. I love it. I mean, that's a challenge for all coaches is hold, hold people accountable to what you want them to do and what they can do to help themselves. And going back to, we talked about, you don't have to use the voice, you don't have to scream. You don't, you shouldn't have these like, this is very flat line. These are, we watched the film. This is, we got, you know, very objectively, made a decision here and, and, uh, or whatever, just, and, and you get that feedback and it just, it's just too much to fight. <laughs> As I said, like, don't fight it. Just, just embrace it. And, and then and you tell I, them your process, right. That they understand how it's done, right. With a group of coaches, it's not just you. Oh no, no. It's educated. The whole coaches. Yeah. We'd like to do it when it's good. It's really players and coaches collaborating, competing against the, the grid, this Excel thing, this monster. So we're in it. Wait, we're in this together. Um, trying to get you to be the best you can in there. And and that dictates who plays. You know, I have final say, and I'd like, that's going to be, and that's where they get ownership. And that's where it gets a little, that's a, the downside is like a little bit like, there'll be two guys that are dead even for one spot. Can't split the baby necessarily, you know. And I got to make a choice, and it might be, hey, this guy's getting 30 minutes, and you're whatever. And, and I'd have to say like, you know what? I got to go. There's not much difference here, but we need one, you know, like if it's your quarterback, your point guard, like, Hey, we need someone to run this team. I think he's got the best chance to do it for us. You got to have that. That's where it gets a little, because he knows he's like, I'm just as good as him. And I'm like, you are. <laughs> and it's we just got to make a choice. Hard. Yeah. That's the hard part. Like, and, and, you know, you, you I think we, we might have that problem. I think we got good depth this year. So it's like, I'm not, you know, you play 10 guys early a little bit. It's going to be eight and it'll get, it'll get down to eight, seven, most likely. And some guys, it's just, just what it is, but nine and 10 got to be ready to jump in there. But, um, but I think there'll be, we'll have one. And that's a good thing. Better to have more than less, <laughs> you know, but, that, but managing that's the tricky part because I don't think, I think there's like three guys, one, I got three guys in my mind, like three, one of them's going to play a lot. One of them play a little one's probably not going to play, you know, and they're all, in within very, you can make an argument for any of them, I think, to get that majority of those minutes. So we'll see how it shakes out. Have you ever had players watch the process where you bring them in and they get to watch it? We make them do it themselves. Sometimes. Yeah, I was going to say, okay. Yeah. Owners, we'll do it. And empathy them. and empathy are very different, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, it's like, hey, we're no one's here trying to screw you. Yeah. And it, Oh, it becomes, and that's the hard part too. It's like, you kind of want, oh man, we got to shave. I've been there. I was there when I won't, I won't name names. But I remember like, Hey, we can't, we can't have this guy not start. So we better think about this was before I was head coach. So I better think about what you're saying. I said, the players will see through it. We have to stay. And that's the, my out. And I hope my players don't watch it. My out is this, not in a bad way. We go for five weeks and you, whoever top five guys at first, we, we, we like to do two scrimmages. You're going to start that scrimmage. And then you got to produce in games. And then we'll scrimmage usually one or two weeks later. 
and we'll start, you know, still kind of stay with who's there and then we'll play our first game. And usually if you do it for five weeks, you're in, you're in there and do it that, but there's been situations where that guy, it's usually sometimes a young guy might feed out an older guy and he's just not quite ready, but he's still in the mix. He's proven himself and then whatever. There's just things that, and the one that comes to mind is like Jamari Bouye and Frankie Ferrari had two ridiculous point guards at San Francisco and Frankie was the returner. And Jamari just kind of went by him as a freshman. And I was like, oh, I got to put him in there. And I did for a few games. And, and then eventually I realized this word that gets tricky. Jamari was a freshman and didn't really want to step on anyone's toes. He's in the NBA now, by the way. <laughs> and, and Frankie's playing in top division in Europe. But he was older. And Frankie was really the heart and soul leader of that team. And until I flipped that back, then we took off. And it was more of the leadership piece and maturity and experience at, at that point in time, even though Jamari was a better defender and maybe a little more talented at other things, it was best for our team to get that flip back or whatever. Like, oh, this is Frankie's team. And he'd done it the year before. So it's like that that's hard in college. So there's no perfect way to do it, but it gave Jamari a chance. Really, he could have ran with it as a freshman, just like he won that job. Got to reward him. Get out there, kid. He just didn't quite, wasn't quite ready to do all the other things. Pretty important position. Do all the things that came with it. Eventually, obviously, he became a, an all-league player. And he's with, you know, he's on a two-way with the Miami Heat. And they, you know, so, and I think he's, he's one of my great examples for what it, the system because he had no offers out of high school, he had one division two offer, or he had a few division two offers. And he's kind of a guy that really smart, really responsible, had enough talent too. But I just think those edges got sharper year over year, more experience, more planting. And he's a late bloomer. Well, now he's, he's played himself in an opportunity where he, God, he might get a real, real contract. Love it. I mean, you're really painting the picture of the human coaching human factor, uh, which exists. And uh, I know Zach Guthrie, who was an assistant with uh, Utah back when they did a study on the James Harden isolation efficiency. And it was proven that that's the most efficient offense, but it's not necessarily the best offense because it doesn't factor in the human factor of everyone else playing with them. 100%. I think that's where the analytics where people get uh, too caught up in it's what's the incentive. If I'm on this team, you, know, like you have to have a, you got to be PJ Tucker. Mm-hmm. There's a reason PJ Tucker does not care. If there's shoot corner threes, he's got a guard. He's an animal. He's not that talented. He could, he could post a zero. Any, I look at the box scores. He has zero points when he's out there 32 minutes. Um, so I agree with that. And I say like, look, you're basically what I would say with like that, that situation, like a Harden or Luca deal. And I don't know none of the NBA, but I'm like, and put something in front of that, like the way the Warriors play. They whip it around. They're running around. Zipper. Well, you got the best end-of-clock offense, period. If you get hardened in the isolation, well, that's – and having to do that end-of-clock offense, every possession down, you're going to wear down. I, to, to me, it seems pretty obvious. It's like – and I think the Mavericks figured it out when they, they didn't realize how good Brunson was that they're in the Western conference finals. Cause and they're still like, they're very Luca centric or whatever, but they had another guy that's an offense in himself with Brunson that we found out later with the, the Knicks that he's better. So it's like having two of those guys. Well, that's where, man, that's where I think coaching intelligence, like, man, get every the guys, get other things involved, get other people in, you know, probably end of the clock. It's still my best end of clock offense was model low starts. <laughs> your elite team is like, Oh, this is what you do. He'd get a shot when he needed it, but 
let's say that let's try to get easier baskets in the beginning of the possession. And if we know we got this in our hip pocket. Love it. Love it. Great perspective. And uh, so you've got these, uh, this data after a practice, after a game, and obviously you're trying to drive team and player development. So I'm curious, how does the data drive your interventions for that next practice or that next game to help your team and players improve? Uh, we, 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 we have a, we have a layers. I gotta, I gotta throw out more. When you add some, a new trick, you do that, but well, it's like the classroom and literally we have a classroom where it's our film room <laughs> and we'll go in there and we'll do a game recap and we'll go over these sections and areas. And like I said, want to hit the positives, uh, and, and, uh, just right, right, right. Very, we call it confront the brutal facts a lot. Like you gotta, let's see where we're at. Um, like Coach Shaw's in charge of the defense, and he does points allowed, which is a whole other dynamic other thing. That's kind of really, it gets even grittier than than they usually work together. Like our our hustle stats, defense, kind of just to, are you doing your job? And then there's a little bit, are you doing your job plus getting a stop? You know, it's okay to get a hand up, but is your who gets scored on where talent matters a little bit, like size? Like you could be a five eleven guy and do everything right, rotate over, get your hands up. Did they score? You know, those things. So that's where we we really dive into that from game to game. Um, we don't, once the season starts games, we don't, our what we competitive college, really it's hustle stats. We're really only going one full tilt day, you know, where you get a lot of data. It'll be Monday or Tuesday. You're playing Thursday, Saturday, Wednesday and Friday are pretty much prep days. We'll go against scout team. Uh, and that's where I've really, that's where it's, I really like having a good scout team now, which we do. It's like both offense, defense, and it's more – the older I've gotten, the more it's more like uh, football reps, like uh, Tom Brady, you know, going their quarterbacks going through their reads. So you're going to get scout team. You should be able – you know, their scout team's going to guard us the way the opponent's guarding us. Uh, a little bit of that with the defensively. Um, and then we're guarding them too, guarding their actions. But, you know, with <laughs> – the scout team usually has a little bit of trouble with that, but we, we build confidence, hopefully. Um, so it's not as much in the season. It's not as, but more game back. You get the game feedback, uh, how you, how you performed with your hustle stats and, and that stuff. And and I've actually gotten big in the, and probably should be their team should know. I really study the uh, groups, group data. And a lot of people don't think plus minus is big. I don't know if there's anything bigger than plus minus. <laughs> like how are you impacting when and it, but it's only going to give plus minus only give you the outliers. Are you talking about lineup efficiency specifically? Efficiency, yeah. Just simple yeah. plus minus. Yeah. Well, you know, like I think one game's going to be, could be, could be a little, not enough data sample, but I'm thinking over five, 10 games. I'm like, you'll get outliers who's on the floor, off the floor, uh, who, you know, who's murdering you. <laughs> who's out there that you like. That's not, that's hurting us somehow. And then there's guys that we can't take off the floor to believe in that. I really do think that that starts to shape our lineup as we get deeper in the season a little bit. And we'll share that too. Um, and, uh, and sometimes you'll have a good talent like TJ Bamba was our leading scorer last year. And, it, but his on floor off floor stuff was even. And I think it was more function of these just played too many minutes. Well, you're going to be more towards the median anyway, probably if you played a lot of minutes. So that's where it's a little, but I'm like, that means you probably need to rest more because he probably is getting in situations where fatigue and it, we just felt we got a little addiction to it. Like you have to have the, that's where you're biased. Like, Hey man, I got to get him more, 
more rest. So he's better player a little bit. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And I I love this coach. Thanks for sharing this depth of this. Um, Like going into this season, you're deciding what to run, what system to play on defense, et cetera. How much is that driven by some of the data from the past year and your returning players and future players versus your experience and your gut as a coach? You know what? It's more personnel driven. It's uh, the defense can stay similarly. Um, Our fundamental defense is just, I'd say it's not, it's not as complicated. I mean, there's just defense. You can say that here, coach. I mean, some of us make it pretty complicated over an hour podcast, but it's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to do. Yeah. And it takes a lot of heart and you got to do things over and over the repetition, having the mental and physical discipline to do things every time. And depending on your personnel, like we're going to be longer and bigger up front. So we'll probably be, we won't force as many turnovers, but we're going to be, we should be much better on the defensive glass. We much better rim protection. It should be harder to score on in a half court. Um, so I kind of know what we're going to look like defensively. Um, and we got, and we got a little better ball pressure at the point. I think those are two most important things, be able to stop the ball and protect the rim and everything in between is, you know, great. It's bonus if you got good matters, but you've got to be able to do those things. You can't just, you can't just be driving the ball in the paint all night. You're going to be no good. And they can't just shoot layups all day. And we, we were little struggle a little there last year. Um, and then offensively, I'm really, I thought we finally flipped the corner because I'd like to be four out, five out kind of NBA package, more like, you know, the delay that they run is fun. And that takes you back to Columbia and air force and running stuff like that. And, uh, which is funny in the NBA, they don't, I don't really know. They know what, how much they've stolen from Princeton, just kind of their principles, uh, with all the five out stuff. Uh, but looking at our team, I'm like, oh, darn it. Our, I think three of our best talents are bigs. Uh, Ruben Chenulu, Oscar Clough, and Isaac Jones. So I'm like, all right, I got to get, I got to keep two of those on the floor a lot. So we'll probably be more, that's what I'm saying, like our offensive scheme stuff. We'll be more three out, two in, more out of the horns package, probably with those, just those bigs are good. Isaac's kind of a dynamic offensive player who I thought would be a, a smaller, I thought, I thought, I didn't know what, if Ruben would be ready, I think it looks like he's going to be able to contribute a lot. And so it's like you could play Isaac at the five and score all day because he's about six, nine and long and, and can do everything. But I'm like, eh, those fives are good. So you're now four and he could probably play on the floor and do some of our cute stuff, you know, that, but it's like, it's probably better just keeping him right in the middle of the floor and playing with that low post guy ducking in. And it's not as pretty, but we're going to be tougher on the glass. We'll be better, shoot the ball better from two. We'll get more offense. You know, just that's – if we don't turn it over, we should be pretty efficient. So that's kind of how I – and I've got to do it quickly. And it's like, oh, God, because we were – last year we were more – we're close to being just that team that could just whip the ball around and score and then try to find a way to get stops. That's my preference. But looks like we're headed that way. Yeah, well, that's fun. And uh, if if I'm correct, there's basically – five different categories here is it shooting ball handling hustle defense and rebounding are those it's essentially really, really three okay the shooting ball handling is your offense okay your, so that's just considered that offense. Offense. yeah rebounds rebounding and hustle and the hustle and defense stuff is just all defense right and and the hustle to defense ratio is really important can you explain that to us yeah, yeah the hustle like hustle plays are obviously they get positive marks for deflections, uh, charges, loose balls, first to the floor, uh, good rotation cover down, 
good closeouts, little thing. You know, it's hard. Like if a guy stops the ball in transition, that's plus one. You know, like he picks up the point guard at half court and puts him on a side. That's very valuable. So little things, those are all your positives. Um, steals, steals, probably the biggest, biggest. And, and we, we've had teams that turn people over and it's hard to do as a coach, but it's like, it's really valuable if you get a steal because your offensive possession, and that's six points, right? Plus six. You're, you should have a really good offensive possession. If you get a live ball turnover, you're going to be three on two, two on one, one on oh. So those are big. And then the negatives on the defense, defense is really just your responsibility, which is, um, ball up. We call it ball pressure, um, contest, no contest ball screen coverages. If you do it, you know, you get for good coverage, you'll get a positive. If you, you blow it, uh, you know, it's, what's you considered it. a contest in your mind. Uh, a hard contest is just your hands, you know, up really on the ball. Um, yeah. Because that yeah. seems to be a debate amongst a lot of data oh, people. No, yeah. I, 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 I strongly believe, and this is nuts, but I just think it's hard to really measure them on film. Yeah. Like there's a live act. There's a, you know that it's so quick. You know when a guy make. that's what I said, we keep track who gets scored on. Like who's making you miss? That's why I said, like, it's not okay. To just, that's a hard line. It's like, you got to make a miss without foul. You got to make a miss. But the idea of if you're, you're like, I did my job. You know, I got my hand up there. It's like, yeah, I got to do more. It's so you just got to be competitive enough. Like I'm not letting this guy score on me. So yeah, those, those things, rotation cover downs. And then I've gotten, I haven't gotten in the weeds here, but you really should probably track how many, when a ball screen happens, how many times you were in that ball screen and how many times you're successful at guarding it the right way versus breaking it down. That's the ratio you need. Because obviously your point guard is going to be in that situation more often than other guys. So you need to know like, hey, John's in this situation. Very, He doesn't get hit very often because he's never in that situation. We're in a game and we're playing Gonzaga who runs, you know, their ball screen motion. All three guys can run that. We're getting murdered, you know. So that's that that's really getting the weeds where if the NBA ever wants to hire me when I'm, <laughs> when I'm done, like I could really – I could really – and that's why I always I always pitch those guys. I said, "Look, hold a spot for me because I think I'm the guy that can straddle the management and coaching. I think the coaches will trust me. I'll get what management wants with because they're at odds. You know, they want their guys to succeed. And I'm like, coaches want to win. They're not trying to play guys. They're not. They're not not play. They're not playing your guys out of spite. You know, they they really want to win. And and I just think there's a way to communicate that through basically numbers through you know quality and quantitatively looking at it to like, Hey, here's, and I think that I don't know how much they do that in the NBA. I'm sure some people are more. I, knew, I know a few coaches in the NBA have a coach who is their data person who yeah. only communicates data to them because they're a former coach. They understand the data. So they yeah. liaison between the two so that the coach doesn't get the kind of the geek version. They get the basketball interpreter. Yeah. No, that's what I, that's what I, that's a really, it totally what, makes sense. Coach. You'd that, be that's what I said. Like, uh, I really think it help because I think certainly I know as a head coach too, you're going to be resistant. Some management dude that some graduate from Penn Wharton business school is telling you how to coach. And you're like, get the hell out of here. And, Cause there's a lot more to it. It's not just as simple as that. And then they're close to management. They're banning their hand on the fist. Like, no, we need to be playing such and such. It's like, it's more nuanced than that, man. And, uh, but to educate both sides of that, as I said, that's, that's where I'm, I said, that's, that's where I think it just been doing it. I said, that's, kind of where 
you get the whole group understanding what this, what we're trying to accomplish. And this is what it is. And everyone well, can do that. when you're ready, coach, we got your job just from this podcast. Don't worry. Someone, <laughs> someone will get you just from the podcast. But uh, yeah, just a, just a quick thing, because we're on this track kind of in this way. So, uh, for example, uh, six points for a steal, and I believe it's four for an offensive rebound. But yeah. what if your system is not, say you're playing pack line and you don't send any of the offensive boards? You won't get any plus fours. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so, so it's, it still comes back to what you emphasize as a coach. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, uh, and that's, you know what? The rebounding thing is so personnel driven, man. It really is. And that's why I've got, that's why I said like the shapes of guys almost. When I talk about like, when you ask me about like, how do you put your team together? Well, you know, there's certain, certain guys that aren't really designed to block out well. Like F.A. Abogidi, he would block out and all that, but he was, Six nine, two hundred and ten pounds, ridiculous rebounder. It's he still stood out well rebounding, but didn't he didn't hit guys up. He's so quick to the ball. And then you got your guys that don't get a lot of rebounds, but they clear out space and they get rewarded for getting blocked, making contact all the time. And they're important too. We didn't have that last year. We we lost to Sean Jackson before the year, who was 6'10, 255, maybe 260 and long. And he just cleared out space and those are important. So it's like trying to trying to sort out um those different different pieces and and uh how how you everyone plays a little differently. And there's probably like nine positions, if that makes sense. Like I see like a combo guard, combo forward, a power forward, a stretch forward. And then I call it the six, the stone center. He's <laughs> the six is closer to a five than a four. He's just he's around the rim. That's end of story. Um, so we have those. Well, I had this conversation uh, with some NBA and NBA staff at Summer League. It was about the tagging up system. Aaron Fern sent everyone to the offensive boards, great transition system. And, and their analytics department did a whole study and everyone, including the coaches, concluded this is the best thing to do analytically, but they're not doing it because it's not the best thing to do for your best players. It, what, and that's what drives it. Last? Yeah. So all oh, five players go to the boards. Well, here's the ball. The NBA is such a copycat league. It drives yeah. me nuts. That that's why I respect the Warriors so much because they really do play different, incredibly differently. They have good players on that, but they, I, I think they got a little screwed up the other way. They're playing so small in the playoffs. I was like, come on, man. I mean, I know I, I believe in playing small, but this is absurd. But the idea is like they all punt on offensive rebounding, like because that's oh, that's what you're supposed to do. I'm like, no, hell no. Offensive rebounds are the best things you can do in basketball. Gives you another possession. That's our big part of our deal is anytime you get us a possession, it's worth 1.1 points. So if you get on the floor for a loose ball and we come up with it, you got us another possession. That's worth the point. You know, it's that's going to you get more shot attempts, more possessions. You're putting yourself in the best chance to win. So that's why I'm with whose system is it? Fern? Aaron? Hi, Aaron Fern. I'll send you some information on it. But uh, he's the head coach at U, U Char- yeah, UN- UNC Charlotte this year. And we'll see if he uses it. I, I, yeah. I didn't expect him to be the offensive board guru. So he's an Australian coach who used it in the pros in Australia and then spread it. And uh, it's fascinating stuff. Well, it's funny. He got our guy that was here, Deshaun Jackson. Mm-hmm. He's going to love Deshaun. He yeah. is, he's awesome on the offensive glass. He's long. He's strong. And he's not the, you know, he's the one that's just going to wedge out space and just grab offensive boards. And now that I know that Fern, Fern's a big believer, he's got, he's got a gem there. So that's, yeah. that's, that'll be great. Well, it is fascinating. Even what you said about offensive rebound, because you can imagine some of those players in the NBA 
are extraordinary offensive rebounders, and you're basically telling them not to do what they can do well. I'm so frustrated that I watch all those games. They just chuck threes in the regular season, and they're five back pretty much. And then I'm like, come on, man. We got to be a little more – there because there's so many good players, that, and there's so many specialists. There's could be an offensive rebounding specialist. Now, I do agree that here's the guys that have gotten eliminated, obviously, are the stone five, man. Man, unless you're an elite roller and shot blocker, uh, they're not going to throw it to you on low post. Those guys, that's Clint Capella. He's still, they don't even value him enough, in my opinion. And then the four five guy that's not necessarily shoots threes, but the old traditional four is eliminated. But those are also your best offensive rebounders, too. So it's like there has to be a way. And that's like Evan Mobley is just, to me, that's who he is, but he's so elite. He's good. They got to figure out a way. He's a little small playing center, and yet he doesn't shoot the ball from three as a four. And so he's up, but he's still such a good defender, such a smart player. It's like there's you got to be able to figure out a way to still make this work. Come on, it can't just be there has to be a way for that player to still be really good. And that's what I'm saying. You're punting on somebody, everyone's playing the same way. Like, well, that means there's a surplus of guys who've done this in the past that aren't even being don't even have roster spots because you're so consumed with playing the same style as everyone else. So, well, after your uh, NCAA tournament run is done this year, coach, we're going to jump on a podcast and just discuss the NBA. That would be so fun. I'm all for it. (laughs) I went through the whole process with the Muhammad gay. And it's funny because he's really that he's, he's really the four or five. Just, he's like, I always call him like a mobile light. And there was either an appetite for that or no appetite. And, the Hawks took him. They love him. And they believe they're like, he's never going to be a five. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, he's more of a wing. And he can't shoot. He's skilled. And I was like, mm, I think you want him running at the rim in the middle of the floor. So, <laughs> Cause he's an awesome offensive rebounder. So it'll be interesting to see how that like, uh, and, but like the Clippers liked him and they, I saw them, they were 100% invested on him as being a small ball five. Cause he could switch and whatever if they needed that. And that's the way they play. So it's like, Clippers, Warriors play a little different than uh, someone. So I can go all day. Perfect. We'll do it. Coach, back to the nerdball system just a little bit. Uh, sure. Can you can you give us an idea of how it's helped you improve your coaching and your team's performance? It just it just holds you accountable, even as a coach. So the hardest thing to do, that's what I said, I share it with everyone because I know how hard it is to commit to it. Um, and I had a – I won't rat her out, but as a women's coach, one of the places I coached, she goes – Walk me through it. So we do about two hours of it. And then she goes at the end, she goes, now, what if my best players aren't at the top of the thing? I said, you didn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) I said, you just didn't get it. I said, you just didn't get it. These are your, they're this, the system is supposed to tell you who your five, really your five best competitors are. And I was like, I said, I said, I'm still a favor to me. Don't do it because I just, right now your mind your bias is so hard that you're so player centric and talent centric. You won't, this is eliminating talent. You're not looking at us talent. You're like production. Who's producing out there. Who's doing what we asked. So that's, that's the part of just, and that's kind of what, to be honest, I was, I had to achieve. We don't like she's overachieve. I had to achieve to, to enter with coaching. It took me 13 interviews to get a head coaching job offer. I had to, you know, I've always tried to bite off more. I could, you know, I want to play at the highest level, compete at the highest level. So I think it, it, it just factors who's really doing the work, who's getting the work done. Um, so, and not, not losing sight of that, you know, that's where it's helped me as a coach. I think, 
I think people naturally that's what they want, you know, I think. And then when you have a little individual talent and you have a little leverage and you don't know how to handle success, you'll try to drag it your way as a player. And it's like, no, no, come on, let's do it. Let's do the things everyone else is doing too. And that makes us good. I love that. And, uh, you know, for coaches, say it's a high school coach, a college coach wants to adapt the system. Uh, is there any recommendations? Is it like drip it in or is it just go all in? It depends what you, what kind of uh, resources you have to, to deal with it. To, to you, The one thing you have to do is if you're going to do it, you got to do it every day. You can't, you can't half-ass it that part. So that's why I say drip it in. If you can only say you don't have the, the time to do, if you're a high school coach, you may not have the time to go home and watch the film and stat it out. You might not have percent. Well, maybe you have managers there. They can chart things live and it won't be as accurate. It won't be, but it's something. And it, but bottom line is in whatever you're doing, if you're publishing it and sharing with them, they're going to see what you emphasize. What you, so if it's taking charges or whatever, and you're all those guys, Oh, that's worth that. Well, naturally you'll have guys competing to do that. So I think not as much, do what you can. I would, again, I would stay, start off moderation. I'm doing it so you feel comfortable, but do it every day. And you have to be consistent or else this is like anything else, training a dog <laughs> or whatever, or, you know, behaviors, you're going to have to be consistent and hold them accountable. So um, before you yeah, embracing going all in what we do, you're going to have thousand questions. And this is 25 years of, you know, moving around, shuffling the deck and, and this, I don't even know why people ask, how'd you give those point values? I said, that's just what it, that's what it came out 25 years. And I guarantee you saw St. Mary's they've been doing it too. It's probably a, way different. You know, it's probably way different than what, just because they probably moved their deal and we probably, they've done a good job. So maybe we need to be more like them. And another point I wanted to drive home that you made is it's, it's heavier early in the year, right? And then it kind of drops a little bit because you're less five on five within practice, right? What? I really, we've got it when you're in college. It's like, we talk about the off season, as soon as the season ends, it's like these next six months are strength coaches time, conditioning, individual development, all gearing towards October when it's, this is what we're, now they get back on campus, we start team building. And then it's, all right, let's see who's, who's really made it. And that's what I said at this age, guys can make big jumps. And uh, you want, you know, your one to your two is usually your biggest because they have, knowledge of the system, they're comfortable in college, and then you get to see those big jumps. It's really measured. And we really talk about this is our, this is where our season's kind of set in October. This is it. This is kind of because what comes out of when we start November, you know, you what you've done up till then is kind of this is what's going to happen. Now there's there's now we're tweaking stuff in the season, most likely. You know, whether your strength, your conditioning, your skill level, how you competed against each other. We're getting our best competitors out there. This is the fun time games. Games should be fun. You know, that's time to compete. You're just not going to, I don't think anyone's going, you know, banging heads as much once the game starts. It's not time to travel. It's just not as much. It's, it's a lot of preparation, a lot of skill development and uh, scheming. Kyle, this is why I still love the podcast. I, I We haven't met. This is our first time talking, and it feels like we're just a bunch of coaches sitting around a room talking basketball. It's just absolutely fun. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. And I, I, to be honest, I, never, I think you're really good at this. You know, I've guided the right direction, asked the right questions, and I can tell you're engaged in the process. You, you enjoy it, thoroughly enjoy it. So that, that makes it a lot, a lot more fun. You got someone that wants to hear those things.
Are you ready to take your coaching to the next level? Thousands and thousands of coaches have already benefited from Basketball Immersion's membership community, and you can be next. Join us as an individual coach or take advantage of our exclusive pricing for staff or club members and unlock valuable learning resources with access to cutting-edge basketball and coaching concepts that will save you time and improve your coaching and your players' enjoyment of practices and games. Take advantage of this opportunity today. Go to www.basketballimmersion.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout-out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.